0: Welcome to the Market Pulse Podcast from Equifax, where we break down the latest economic and credit insights to help you navigate today's business landscape. Hello, welcome to the Market Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom O'Neill, and I'm a member of the Risk Advisory Group here at Equifax. Collectively, this team supports our clients by providing guidance and insights on how to navigate uncertainty and uncover hidden opportunities. Today, my panel of experts includes David Shoika, Jesse Harden, and Tom Aleff. Welcome, everyone. Glad to have you guys on board. Hey, Tom. How are you? Hello, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about the the credit and financial stresses facing consumers. Uh, Now, that's a pretty broad subject. So what we plan to do is, is actually address consumer stress as a theme that we're going to be carrying through a series of podcasts that we plan on rolling out over the next few months. Over that coming series, we'll we'll discuss topics such as what lenders can be doing to address the various impacts, how these impacts are different for different consumers, and what kind of information we can use to distinguish those consumers who are thriving from those who may be struggling. Uh, but we want to start off today by discussing what we mean by consumer stress. Uh, what's, what are some of the factors causing that stress? and how we see that stress taking shape. But before we begin, let's kick things off with a quick economic update from David Fieldhouse, uh, Director of Consumer Credit Analytics at Moody's Analytics. David?
1: The U.S. economy is showing robust performance, with third-quarter growth expected to be nearly 3%, and year-over-year growth approximately 2.5% which surpasses the economy's potential growth of around 2%. So these are very healthy numbers. Uh, Despite this, inflation continues to moderate, largely due to productivity gains that we're seeing. Consumer spending remains solid with households using their excess savings accumulated during the pandemic to maintain their purchasing power today. However, the high inflation has put significant pressure on this purchasing power, particularly for lower income households. Despite this, higher income households still have nearly $1.2 trillion in extra savings. The strong economy is largely due to consumers who have been careful with their spending, nearly causing a recession, nor inflating the economy uh, too much. The, the composition of spending has changed with more spent on goods and less on services, and this may not revert back to pre-pandemic trends from what we're seeing in the recent data. Rising interest rates mean households will have to pay more on their debts. However, most household debts have fixed interest rates for years, and households in aggregate earn more in interest income than they pay out in interest expense. Concerns about households taking on excessive debt are largely unfounded. Total debt has only increased by 3.5% in the year ending in August, which is less than income growth. The delinquency rate on all household debt remains low, even though delinquencies on cards, unsecured personal loans, and auto loans are higher than pre-pandemic levels. They appear to be peaking. You know, And we can see this when we look at more recent originations. The end of the student loan moratorium in October is not expected to cause a significant rise in delinquency rates on other debts, as borrowers will prioritize payments on their other debts. While the the US economy is demonstrating resilience, other factors such as higher oil prices could impact this. With oil trading at nearly $90 per barrel, average gasoline prices are likely to breach $4 a gallon of regular unleaded. And nothing is more corrosive on the collective psyche than having to pay more at the pump. And $4 appears to be a threshold in people's thinking about their financial situations. We do not expect oil prices to rise much further uh, unless there are some major disruptions in the global markets. So hopefully the the economy maintains its resilience uh, if there are no other uh, shocks uh, to it this quarter.
0: Thank you, David.
1: As we listen to
0: David's overview of the economy, there's actually quite a bit there to feel optimistic about. Uh, Consumers and the economy, on average, are still doing okay. So why in the world would we be talking about the rise in consumer stress and and actually dedicating a series of podcasts to the topic? Well, it can boil down to the term I just used, on average. If you're a teacher and all of the students in your class get a 70% on the test, then congratulations. All of your students have passed. But if half of them are getting 90% and the other half are getting 50%, well, you still have an average of 70% for the class, but half of your students are struggling and you're gonna be approaching the next lesson very differently than you would in the first scenario. And that's the shortcoming of depending solely on aggregate statistics as a measure of something as complicated as the economy. We heard, for example, that the current delinquency rates are right around where they were before we entered the pandemic, and that's true. But we also know that the nature of that delinquency and where that delinquency is happening is quite different. The class average is still looking pretty good, but the number of individual students that are struggling is increasing. And we see some pretty tough tests coming up. Now, David mentioned that higher income households still have a large amount of extra savings stored up. But we also know that a large amount of the overall savings that were built up during the pandemic have been used up. A lot of that dry powder that economists like to talk about is is largely gone. That savings depletion is coming from households who have had to deal with things like inflation, higher interest rates, and other economic factors, many of which are still present. And we can see some of the impact on that stress in things like consumer spending. For the past couple of years, consumer spending has been pretty consistently healthy Uh, after that initial uh, shock in the early part of 2020. Uh, And even as society became more isolated during the pandemic, uh, spending on things like big ticket items uh, remained stronger than than expected. Uh, Then as we started to resume some level of normalcy, uh, spending on on travel, on entertainment, on restaurants and so forth, those all jumped up. Uh, And even with an increasing number of economists predicting differently, uh, consumer spending continued to chug along for a while. But now more retail reports are coming out, illustrating a shift in consumer spending, focusing more on essentials and away from luxury items. Uh, Economic data is showing that the savings built up during the pandemic period have largely eroded, uh, and that personal expenditures have been outpacing disposable income for the past year and a half. Uh, And then when we look at credit trend data, uh, we see that it's showing an increase in in revolving credit usage and, and payment delinquencies. Uh, On top of that, you see inflation that's created a need to tighten belts, and for an increasingly large number of consumers, uh, it's necessitated the use of credit uh, to cover basic monthly expenses after savings and other assets have been exhausted. Uh, You add to this new economic factors, such as the resumption of student loan payments uh, for millions of consumers, uh, obviously noteworthy labor strikes that are happening, and all of this can paint a, a pretty bleak picture of the financial stress that consumers are facing. But is this pervasive across all consumers? Uh, Is this just a matter for lenders, for at-risk populations to be paying attention to? Uh, Or is it something that impacts consumers across the credit spectrum? And is the impact consistent? And if not, how can we tell the difference? Uh, So with all of this in mind, I'll be asking our panel for their thoughts and recommendations on consumer stress. So, Dave, let let me start off with you. Uh, we We hear about consumers being under stress, and the various items I mentioned in in my monologue there would seem to uh, all lead to increased you know financial stress on consumers. But do we actually see that reflected in the data that we have coming in? you know what what does the economic and credit trends actually
2: tell us? Yeah, thanks, Tom. And you know, <clears throat> as recently as yesterday in our uh, market pulse uh, webinar, we we talked a little bit about this. and You know, some of the the key takeaways from that webinar were um, revolving debt continuing to grow, increasing utilization on credit cards, uh, lower demand for mortgage and auto, and then higher delinquencies. Now add in the added pressure of that uh, additional student loan payment um, and consumers are really pondering how do they pay their bills. Uh, Your earlier point about consumers potentially pulling back I think it's been mentioned a lot in the news. uh, And, um, you know, even the use of credit is not for luxury items. It's for necessities. And so, you know, does the consumer pull back? And, you know, unfortunately, they've been what's keeping the economy afloat. And so as so I guess the question on that side is, as the consumer goes, does the economy go? But in terms of stress. You know, I think um, I've seen some studies around 10% of consumers live paycheck to paycheck um, and really are struggling to meet ends meet. You know, on the housing side, I think I I just read share of annual income to cover housing costs is now over 40%, and where historically it's typically around 30%. Just today came out 30-year mortgage rates hit 7.75%, the highest level since November of, of 2000. What does that translate to? Well, the payment on a $500,000 mortgage has gone from $2,000 a month to now $3,600 a month, an increase of 80%. And that doesn't even include the insurance side of things. We've seen rising prices on auto. Average new car is somewhere around $750. On used cars, it's about $530, which is its highest uh, in quite some time. And then kind of compounding this, is that over 60% of households according to the New York Fed have said it's harder to get credit this year than it was a year ago. Quite a lot to think about as we go through this.
0: Indeed, thank you for that Dave. Tom, to to build off of that and sort of flesh that out, let me let me address the next one to you. For several years it's been helpful for us to to use this notion of of a K shape to describe the yeah, how different consumers are impacted differently by certain economic factors. So, for example, when we were coming out of the pandemic uh, period, we spoke of the K-shaped recovery that that sort of signified how some households were coming out in stronger uh, shape than when they went in, uh, and how some households were were struggling as they came out of that. Conversely, you know, we've we've spoke about the. K-shaped economy, uh, where we describe things like inflation and how they have different impacts on on various populations. Uh, but the reality is is more nuanced than that, isn't it? You know, when we when we speak of all of these consumer stresses, it's more complicated than just saying you know some households are doing well and some households are struggling. Can you address that for us?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think I think at, at the beginning, you know, when we started talking about this and referencing you know a K-shaped economy. A lot of it is, of course, out of an ability to describe it and to have an understanding of like where pivots and shifts are occurring. And one of the key separations that uh, we found at the time was that the subprime uh, market—you know, those consumers that were having a credit score less than 620—had dropped from 26 percent down to 19. And you know, when we continue to talk about this and that nuance. Uh, instead of you know thinking about us evolving away from, we're evolving with what we're calling that uh, that K shape. And so some some key things that we you know, have a lot of hypotheses on that we're observing, and and uh, you know, we've we've been hearing in in various components with uh, some of the economic uh, you know discussions we've we've had is that consumers seem to be doing uh, better overall. So on average, uh, the consumers are doing well. But what that means is that there's uh, the the I guess the rate of consumers that are Doing better is higher than those that are doing worse, but there are consumers who are still having, you know, quite a quite a difficult time. And you know, we've seen things where, uh, you know, you know consumer spending over the last, uh, you know, you know last years has been remarkable, uh, according to you know, Moody's Analytics, as as they end up uh, you know describing with real consumer spending, uh, you know, being on the rise. And our next market pulse, we're going to be having a little bit more focus on that with uh, with some of our partners. Uh, to talk about uh, you know some of the spend uh, spend trends that uh, that do exist. You know so then when we you know you know think and, and pivot on that is a lot of the strength you know you know, of course when we think about the nuance is driven by you know, ac- you know, access to credit. So those consumers who have high financial uh, durability those consumers you know we know that have been locked into a really good mortgage. Uh, rate it's it it kind of closes off you know their their opportunity or need to move elsewhere you know with ninety percent of consumers already having a rate in their mortgage less than six uh, percent and seventy percent uh, less than four so given where interest rates are it's it's. It's kind of holding uh, a little bit of balance uh, in where that exists, but those consumers also aren't going to be experiencing uh, the high rent uh, increases. Now, you know, you know, as we, you know, we talked, you know, Dave shared in our uh, market pulse yesterday about the rising delinquency rates and credit card auto unsecured. secured, uh, and and specifically those those are occurring. In places where the consumer is experiencing that subprime credit, so we we are you know having some you know some stress that you know down on the on the lower end, you know but but the higher end still continues to end up end up driving a lot of things that you associate with that and you know just some some key stats that you know that we've noticed are you know there's those consumers that carry a balance month to month you know is you know those are we call those revolvers it surpasses those that pay their balance in full. Uh, based on a, uh, you know, some research that we've uh, we've been um, exploring based, uh, from JD Power, and with credit card uh, you know debt outpacing you know credit card balances, um, you know yeah we're, we're I, I guess the, a lot of what we saw that is that balances rose nineteen percent in Q one, uh, while debt you know jumped twenty three percent you know according to a Philadelphia Fed uh, poll. Now we've been talking about student loans for a long time as well, and you know of course that's going to be one of the uh, one of the aspects where a consumer is going to have uh, you know some form of liability. And so you know as as always, what we want to be able to do is understand what their current uh, credit profile is, what are the various assets they have access to, whether it's income, uh, you know, wealth, uh, and that could be you know the forms of stock bonds, savings, uh, any form of liquid asset the consumer will have access to. And you know, that even includes something like a home equity line of credit. will they be able to tap to, uh, you know, an existing mortgage uh, that has uh, you know retained some value in their home to have access to credit. So you know, time I guess is going to tell. But we're you know we're really actively trying to continue to you know dive in and refine uh, what are some of the drivers behind uh, you know consumers thriving at the uh, the nuance of the upper end of decay versus the nuance at the lower end.
0: Got it. Thank you for that, Tom. Um, Jesse, let, let me uh, let me throw something towards you here. Um, yeah, it seems like the headlines that we see these days, are they're almost designed to, uh, to add stress to consumers, you know, financial and otherwise, for that matter. Um, but to these headlines events, and I'm talking about things like the, the restart of student loan payments that Tom just mentioned, uh, the, the UAW strike that's, that's yeah, in today's headlines. You know, we see things like global slowdowns, and I am sure. Yeah, you know, before this podcast is even rolled out, there is probably going to be several others that uh, that hit the headlines. Do these actually have much impact to the average consumer? Now, obviously, I, I know that. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine that, a, a UAW, you know, worker is going to be impacted by the strike, obviously, and someone with a large amount of student loan debt is going to be impacted. You know, when they have to start making impact uh, payments again, but do these have a broader impact uh, than that?
4: That's yeah, a doozy of a question, Tom. It's a great question, though, and you are correct. There's no shortage, really, of new events to follow. And it's jo- not really just new events. Take all the discussion that we've had over economic downturn. Moods can shift up and down quickly when thinking about the likelihood of a downturn it just really shows i think the complexity and the dynamic nature of these types of events when i talk to our customers you know i'm always trying to start and and remind those customers always work towards what the data is telling you in terms of of your business and with as much data as is available today and the you know the many eyes looking at the data there's a lot of latitude in interpreting what that data means we also could certainly have a lengthy discussion then about news and, and what's generated today. Certainly there are a lot of subject matters which take a life of their own in terms of the news. For example, think of artificial intelligence. It's had a, you know, a, a it's been around various forms uh, for quite some time. But as new innovations have come along recently with AI, we've seen a pickup in news stories, a buzz around the capabilities of AI. So inevitably, news stories suggest impacts uh, with AI to the labor market. AI will probably be more than likely to have a profound impact on some types of jobs, certainly when you look at the amount of money and knowledge being put into the capabilities now. But is it largely impacting labor? No, not really right now. So instead, you know, we always want to try and contextualize the point news stories are making, and in our field, how those points may play out to the consumer Obviously, then, you know, some of these economic events, they're going to have more modest impacts on GDP, but the consumers really who are living and breathing that impact, the feelings, they're real. Those are real feelings. So, it's why businesses, I think, need to move and have a strong consumer outreach. And then, you know, we've talked about it. Tom talked about it. You talked about it as well. You brought up some good examples recently in the news. One is student loans. You know, held by 40 million consumers. Many of the loans are um, are in a possible accommodation status, meaning they're going to see a resumption in that debt load soon, to the tune of maybe three to five hundred dollars or more monthly. So, to someone who's seeing a resumption in those payments, you know, the challenge uh, with the resumption it's it's real and it's disruptive. So economists, though, are you know they they're t- they tend to debate the impact to GDP, even though you know we can't fully measure that that for some time. Gas prices, think about you know where gas prices are; they're more problematic, and it's really based on the impact that they have across the board to consumers uh, in their balance sheets. So think about you know consumers have to pay more for gas; they have less to spend elsewhere, and you know they have a, a, a direct impact on the price that they pay for goods and services so as we talk about consumers you know we we remind uh, our customers specifically about the importance really of knowing where the customer's overall financial situation is and and then how those challenges might impact the types of customers they work with and the outreach that can help that customer handle that personal financial situation and with you know with so much news and information that's out there on the topic now it becomes really a best practice to try and always evaluate the themes that you're seeing in the news specifically how might those economic events affect the customer base and should i be prepared for those effects i then you know would conclude by saying you know, perhaps what some would say is a non-committal answer. Will these events have a broader impact on the customer? You know, the answer is maybe, but it really depends on determining what that uh, looks like in your portfolio and and the level of customers that you have in that portfolio.
0: Great, thank you, thank you, Jesse. I think that's a great point, and and the everything you mentioned around t- contextualization and putting this, you know, you know, on a almost. Base by base you know, uh, level is is important. You know, something like student loans obviously may have a very deep impact on an individual consumer, but zero impact on on the consumer right next to that. Whereas something like rising gas prices or other factors may have a, more of a, a, a broad impact that that lenders would need to you know, take into consideration. Dave, let me let me go back to some of the things that you were uh, discussing uh, and, and what you were talking about in terms of what we're seeing within the data and how it illustrates, you know, those stresses that, that we're talking about here. Uh, and I'm not going to put you on the spot, because I know Equifax doesn't make forecasts, so I'm not going to make ask you to, to make any predictions. But we but we obviously do keep a finger on the pulse of of the economic, you know, the analyst community. Um, what seems to be the prevailing thought looking ahead? You know, what are economists expecting uh, in regards to you know, are these stresses you know uh predicted to be you know rising you know, like are we going to be seeing more of these you know more consumer stress looking ahead as we head into um, holiday season for instance uh do we see things you know leveling off maybe or even getting a bit you know, less stressful as we head into 2024 I- is there a prevailing thought and, and if so what is it
2: yeah, thanks, Tom. I, uh, before I uh, give my answer, I want to go back and correct something. I, th- I think I might have said there were ten percent of consumers living pay- paycheck to paycheck. They actually is sixty percent. Uh, so I just want to make that correction. Um, but in terms of uh, you know, where the experts think we're headed, you know, give me give me a hundred economists and they'll give you a hundred different answers. Um, I think the prevailing view in terms of where the economy is headed has become more rosy. And I'm using that phrase as opposed to the the R word that we're all (laughs) trying to avoid saying. Um where that where that prediction is really down 20, 15, 20% um, from a negative perspective. So I think the economists feel good about next year and kind of where we're headed. Um, But there's still these factors that are out there, right? And I think, you know, Jesse talked a little bit about gas prices. And you know, from the consumer side, directly out of the wallet, they see, you know, they drive down the street, they see that gas price, and then they're making a decision. What do I pay? Where do I have to go this week? Um, but then also, you know, kind of indirectly as diesel costs go up, cost of goods goes up. And I think Jesse highlighted that as well, is that, that there's another compounding factor that impacts the wallet. Now it's costing me more for the typical, uh, you know, bread, cereal, milk, uh, fruit, um, to feed my family. And so I think those pieces are still going to kind of be at play. Um, I highlighted at the start uh, of this podcast, uh, during my portion, um, talking about rising, revolving balances, rising utilization rates. Um, we're heading into the holiday season. Unfortunately, those trends are not going to change for the next three months as consumers are spending for, for the holidays. Right. And so I really, you know, kind of based upon what we've seen from our trends in the past, I mean, I, I would expect the trends to kind of remain normal from a spend perspective. I think the revolving product balances and utilizations will go up, um, not only because interest rates are now over 25% on credit cards and that minimum payment is a little bit harder to make. Um, and, um, again, I, I'm using those my, my card for existing goods and services. Those probably won't come down until tax season. Um, I haven't, you know, in terms of the auto market, you know, I think Jesse touched on the UAW strike. Obviously, the foreign cars aren't necessarily as impacted by that. The supply there is good, so I mean, we haven't really touched on supply of auto, which was a big issue earlier in the year, and that's really kind of leveled itself out. Levelled itself out. But really, it's really going to be as the consumer goes, so goes the the economy. As I mentioned earlier, does the consumer reach a point where they say, "I'm done spending," and I'm and I'm going to be paying? And while that's good for them and it's good for delinquencies and it's good for all those other pieces, obviously financial institutions need the customer to use their products. And so I think that's kind of the other piece of that. And I know we're focused on the consumer, but, you know, if they, if they decide, if the consumer decides that paying down their debt, getting back to a more normal um, monthly payment based upon what they can afford, then we might see, you know, the, uh. Certain markets and certain products be hit in terms of sales uh, for the next several months. Thanks, Dave. And uh, I, I recall
0: one one thing that I know. Yeah, you know, we we've probably all talked to to clients about uh, at at various points. Is yeah, you know, we we can speak about yeah you know, the R words mm-hmm. or downturns or recoveries or whatever from a macro perspective. But it's also probably even more important to realize that yeah. You know, th- these things happen on an individual basis, and, and even if uh, even if the economy is is looking rosy, as you said, and I'm I'm using the air quotes uh, along with that, it, individual consumers can still be struggling. And individual consumers are in in strong position, and and it's important for our lender, yeah, you know, partners, and and clients to. To be able to splice that out and and, and distinguish between them. And, and on that note, Tom, uh, wanted to go back. Uh, thank you, by the way, for the description that you gave about some of the this, how the stresses come in different forms and, and impacts to different consumers. Um, and this question may be better served as a topic by itself that we do on on a follow up podcast. But could you give just a, a brief overview of how we might be able to distinguish those different impacts? We've talked a lot about the differences and the nuances. How do we go about identifying them, and and uh, how we approach those differences accordingly?
3: That's such a great question, Tom. And you know, I, I think we we oftentimes find ourselves in compare and contrast of. How does this current economic time period look compared to you know, pre-pandemic? How does it look uh, compared to the Great Recession? How does it look uh, you know, even before that with you know, you know, as, the, as the housing market started booming in the mid-2000s? To me, the biggest difference between uh, the current economic time period and the Great Recession is our ability to access data uh, and our ability to run data at a client level uh, at scale. So we've been we've been able to uh, you know, operate and find those various trends around uh, you know you know our hypotheses around the case shaped that, that economy weren't hypotheses we were identifying that you know this many you know consumers were ending back into a student loan payment we knew uh, how many consumers opened a mortgage uh, we were able to understand that those student loan payments that are coming back into uh, you know you know going into repayment next month, on average in the auto portfolio, is 16%. So we've been able to identify uh, various levels of trends at a nuanced level, uh, very granularly, uh, you know, comparatively to what we were able to do before. Previously, we were able to do things like, what did a payment hierarchy look like? And we could see... That you know, consumers were you know paying their mortgage last, for example, and you know, in in many you know cases, we we don't expect some of that to occur this time because uh, you know, mortgages rates are are doing so well. But a lot of the you know the stats that we described, we have been actively working on analyses and, and we're you know continuing to to grow and refine that and so a lot of the you know the components that we're looking to pull in uh and and do a little bit more clustering and segmentation is to identify where those pockets exist when you describe you know personal recessions that you know consumers may be experiencing you know you can you can go around the country and see there, there's some some people have been in a personal recession for the last 40 years they're like well what's what's the difference between now and uh you know you know three or four years ago, it's not that different. And then there's some people who are, you know, you go to other uh, parts of the country where, you know, places are thriving quite well. And and there's like not even an understanding that someone could be struggling financially. So so it's a very uh, interesting, uh, you know, market in that sense. But as you look to combine the data, we can find out what pockets, uh, you know, exist and are, you know, you know, does it matter if a consumer has a mortgage, if they're able to pay their student loan, does it matter how much, uh, financial durability they have from a stock bonds uh, perspective. Uh, does it matter what other debts they've you know taken on over time? Uh, and you know have they you know I guess do do they have access to or have a need uh, for you know some form of specialty finance like a payday loan? And have they been, have they gone uh, and and seen that? Uh, you know you, uh, we were we were just re- discussing earlier today uh, about the Wall Street Journal article that uh, you know, came out uh, with um, you know I, I guess. Payday loans being on the rise in uh, in the last quarter, and so we we expect those consumers you know you know have you know starting to have some stress but that that's a very specific uh consumer set who is needing to have access into some form of payday loan so it's really important to understand what those blind spots are, but tying it back to that original opener that I had is the biggest difference between. Uh, today and the last recession, uh, you, know, you know, whether we want to call this the R word or not, uh, you know, or whatever, wherever we end up being, we can we can identify what those pockets uh, exist and to know where the stresses are and to continue to nuance where delinquencies rising and what are the main drivers behind
0: it. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, that's definitely a fascinating area and, and definitely one that we're going to need to uh, to dive deeper into in, in a follow up podcast. So so stay tuned. Um, Jesse, we've looking got time for, for w- <laughs> Jesse, we've got time for one more. so I'm gonna throw something back at you and, and I'd, I'd like to sort of turn the focus you know, forward looking. Um, you, you mentioned several of the headlines that we're seeing today uh, when, when uh, I asked you about it and the challenges that those potentially pose on different households. Um, and since it seems like there's there's new headlines popping up every day, is there a particular theme that you look for in terms of the types of macroeconomic events that, that are most impactful to the consumer?
4: Yeah, so we've got a great group of listeners here, and I'm sure they're proactively looking at news measuring impacts on their portfolio. So I really provide this as a way I've found success in looking at themes and stories. So as I'm scanning news stories for new potential disruptive economic events, you know, I try and train my brain each time to do the following. So first and foremost I'd be hypocritical not to bring up my my last answer which is view and understand what the data is telling you. So is that data intuitive? Does it you know does it does it not pass the smell test? Is there something funny about it? Is that data different from what your portfolio data is telling you? It may be okay. You know, you may find you've learned something new to watch for. You may see an anomaly indicating the story may not apply to your portfolio. But either way, that story has at least gone through the sniff test. Um, Then, you know, I try to think about the following. How many potential consumers does this event impact? Or put maybe a little differently, like what do I think the severity of this risk could be? And equally, how likely is the event to occur and in what time frame? So put into practice then, here's an example back to the student loan payment resumption and elevated gas prices. Both are high on the likelihood of occurring. We know that because they're occurring now. We then establish that both are likely events that we'll need to size. So in the case of student loan, I can size the impact on my portfolio to make a good assumption about my exposure. I can work with bureaus like Equifax then to size that impact on my portfolio and Can then think about, you know, how to direct my policies, my consumer outreach to solve for that. So certainly it's a high likelihood event. With gas prices, we know that prices can only go up so far before we see consumer sentiment change really in the form of demand destruction. So gas prices, can, you know, they obviously play a direct role in most consumer lives, getting places we need to go, um, driving places, higher prices for goods and services. So that has really a high impact and a high likelihood. And that's a story I'd really want to watch. So then the barometer becomes how likely is the economic event to occur and how much impact might it have on my customer base? You know, we all do this for a living. So most of us get really geeky about like all the data, the stories, and what they mean. So I find it fascinating when we think about like trade policy with China, how it may be impacted impacted by, you know, political and uh, fiscal events with uh, Xi's regime but the reality is you know i can't predict that that what's going to happen there and you know i also can't really gauge the impact on my customer base so it's really it's a good story it's nice to know but it's probably not one i'm going to lose a lot of sleep over so then as we spoke about you know before sometimes the hype creates a concern so i'd again reiterate don't make a story bigger than it is and i think if you follow that simple approach i mentioned sizing um, the impact, I think you'll better understand then what is concerning as a theme versus what is not concerning.
0: Fantastic. Thank you for that. That's very insightful. Um, all right. That, that's all the time that we have for today. Uh, as mentioned before, though, we will be rolling out more of these podcasts around uh, this particular theme each month for the rest of 2023. So, so make sure to keep an eye out for those. Uh, I'd like to thank the panelists for joining me today. Thank you, guys. Um, And for our listeners who would like to know more about this topic, please reach out to us at riskadvisors at Equifax.com, or feel free to reach out to your Equifax sales contact. Thank you very much, and we look forward to having you listen in on our next podcast.
1: The information and opinions provided in this podcast are intended as general guidance only and are subject to change without notice. The views presented during the podcast are those of the presenter, as of the date this podcast was recorded and do not necessarily reflect official positions of Equifax. Investor analysts should direct inquiries using the Contact Us box on the Investor Relations section at Equifax.com.